0: Welcome to Faith of Our Fathers. Today's preacher is Donald Gray Barnhouse. First Lieutenant Barnhouse of the Aviation Section of the Signal Corps was ordained in April 1918. Today, Donald Barnhouse presents a sermon on marriage. Several years ago, someone said to me on one occasion, where do you get all the sermon illustrations that you use to illustrate your sermon? And I said, since a certain moment in my ministry, I think in terms of sermon illustration." I once found a verse in the Bible that said that we were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. So I said, immediately I realized that in the mind of God, the true church was before the world. Therefore, when God created the world, everything he created, he created to illustrate spiritual truth. I am convinced of the fact that there is no thing in life that cannot be made to illustrate spiritual truth. The sun is here by day, and when it goes down, the moon comes up. Christ said, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And then when he left, he said, ye are the light of the world. And the church is like the moon, and that's why the world is in such darkness. At times it's a full moon, and Wesley is there, or Calvin or Luther are there. And at times there's a little crescent moon as today, and you don't know whether it's a first quarter or a last quarter. But the church is certainly not in the full moon of great revival today. All of that illustrates Christian truth. One of the greatest illustrations there ever was, was the way that children make fathers. That is to say, here is a man and the child is born, and the minute that the child is born, I always say that at the same moment that the cord is cut from the mother, there's an invisible one that binds the child to the father, and a father is born. And every man will know what I mean. When first they showed you your child, there is something right away that is born in the heart of the man. And God says, all this is to illustrate to you, like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that love him. But the greatest of all the illustrations, perhaps, in the whole Bible, is the illustration of Mary. For God says... I created the human race in the way that I created them in order to illustrate my love for the church and in order to illustrate the fact that when I was joined to a person in salvation, I was joined to them forever. And so in the passage of scripture, which we read a moment ago in Ephesians 5, We read this story of the husband and the wife, of the wife and the husband, and we read, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Weddings are wonderful things. I love to perform wedding ceremonies. Several years ago at a party in our church, one night when a group of young people were meeting, one of them said to me, you get a great kick out of marrying people, don't you? I said, yes, I do. If you went to the movies and see a picture of a bride perhaps a tear made out of glycerine going down her face, and especially if you know that she's on her seventh husband in Hollywood, uh, it, it certainly doesn't uh, lead you to any great spiritual thought. But I get a couple in front of me, John and Mary, and there comes that moment in the ceremony when I reach down and take John's hand, and I take Mary's hand and I put it in. And then I look at him and I say, I, John, take thee, Mary. And he repeats, I, John, take thee, Mary. And you know, I can tell by the way his muscles convulse at that moment just what kind of a husband he's going to be. To be my wedded wife, to be my wedded wife. And I do promise and covenant, and I do promise and covenant before God and these witnesses, before God and these witnesses. To be thy loving and faithful husband, to be thy loving and faithful husband. In sickness and in health, in sickness and in health. In plenty and in want, in plenty and in want. In joy and in sorrow, in joy and in sorrow. As long as we both shall live. As long as we both shall live. Then I break their hand clasp and I turn her hand over and I put John's hand in her. Now when we're having the wedding rehearsal, I begin at this point. I say, I Mary, take thee John. and She looks at me. He says, I, Mary, take thee, John. I say, no, my name is Donald. Look at him. You're taking him. (laughs) Even if you have to make a quarter, turn to the right and turn your back on your bridesmaid. Look at him. And then she repeats after me, I, Mary, take thee, John, to be my wedded husband. And I do promise and covenant before God and these witnesses to be thy loving and faithful wife. In sickness and in health, in plenty and in want, in joy and in sorrow as long as we both shall live." And then after they've exchanged their rings, I begin to talk to them. Whenever anybody's making arrangements for a wedding, you know, they always say that the wedding is the bride's day, not in my church. She can have everything before she comes in and everything after she goes out. But if she's going to be married in the church of Jesus Christ, there are going to be no photographers who are flashing bulbs around, I would interrupt a sermon any time. I would interrupt a wedding right in the middle and say, will that photographer leave the church if he tried to desecrate it, taking pictures of the ceremony? Oh, they can come before and after if they wish. They can have their photographs. That's quite all right. But the ceremony is quite different. And I always say, Mary, Emily Post says that the audience is to stand during the wedding ceremony. Now, this isn't going to be any little two-minute-in-and-run-out affair. You tell your mother to sit down, and everybody will take their cue from her, because if she doesn't sit down, I'm going to say in a loud voice, will the audience please be seated? And they will be. And when they have exchanged rings, I then say, John and Mary, before saying the words that make you man and wife, I want to speak to you about the nature of Christian marriage. You have not gone to a justice of the peace for this ceremony. You've come to a minister of the gospel of Christ. You're standing within a few steps of the communion table, upon which we're accustomed to put the bread and the cup that represent the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And marriage is a Christian ceremony. The Lord Jesus began his ministry at a wedding. And John and Mary, you've come here, and this is to be a Christian wedding a Christian marriage, or you are establishing a Christian home. Mary, I say to her, in the word of God, it says that the wife is to obey her husband. It used to be years ago that the ceremony had in it the words love, honor, and obey. They've taken it out today, which is one of the reasons why the divorce rate increases. Mary, God says that the woman is to obey her husband. And any woman that does not is getting cheated in marriage. Because after all, any woman whose husband does not run her knows well that she got cheated in marriage. For every good woman wants a husband that can manage her. It's an instinct in the heart of the woman. If you don't believe it, go in any block in town where there are ten houses. And if there's one house in the block where the woman really runs the man, listen to the other nine women talk about him. Is he a man or a mouse? Why does he let her run him around her little finger? Why doesn't he stand up to her? Why doesn't he show that he's a man? You see, God said way back in the Garden of Eden in the third chapter of Genesis, when he pronounced the curse upon the race, he said to the man and to the woman certain things. He said to the man in the sweat of thy face, thou shalt earn thy bread. But what did he say to the woman? Her desire shall be to her husband. And he shall rule over her. Now, that is a fact of life. It's a fact of psychology. Her desire shall be to her husband. A woman, they speak sometimes of the way a girl is in love with a man and they'll say she's carrying a torch for so-and-so. He doesn't seem to take it as seriously. The French have said that marriage for a woman is a career and for a man it's an incident. Well, by the very nature of the fact, it has to be in some sense. Because when the woman is married, the center of her life is her home and her husband. Biologically and physiologically, she's going to be chained to the home during the periods of waiting for the children and of caring for them, while the man must be free to go and bring in the living in order that there may be a roof over their heads and food for their mouths and clothes to warm them. And a man has to have the home as a center to which he can come and warm himself from the cold world and then go back again to face all of the frigid warfare that is in the dog-eat-dog business life where in the world every man's trying to make his dollar and more or less for the unsaved world it's every man for himself and the devil take the hindmost. Now in the course of the ceremony I say, Mary... God says that you are to obey John. In fact, that you are to look up to him and think of your husband John somewhat as you think of Jesus Christ on Sunday morning when you sit in church and worship. For that's what it says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as unto the Lord. And so on, therefore, as the church is subject Unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. So the highest ideal of your love, Mary, is the highest human love there is in this world. But John, God is not giving you a slave. God is not even giving you a servant. For John, if the Bible says a word to the wife that seems to be incredible, it says a much more severe thing to the man. For it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. If the ideal of the woman's love is the highest human love, the ideal of the husband's love is divine love. And no woman in this world is ever going to have any trouble obeying a man who is willing to be crucified for her. Every woman knows that. When we're discussing marriage beforehand, because I try, over the course of the months that precede any wedding, that precede any wedding, I try to talk to John and Mary. And I say, now look, John, there's one thing you must remember. Marriage is the symbol of Christ and the church. Therefore, you must never joke about marriage. Don't you dare as long as you live. And of course, I'm saying it for men here. Bite your tongue before you will ever say well, I want you to meet the ball and chain, or here's the jailer. Make no jokes about marriage. Marriage is the relationship of Christ and the church. Therefore, it's not to be the old battle axe, and it's not to be, well, my wife wanted the house painted yellow, and I wanted it painted green, so we compromised on yellow. Any such joke is a testimony of defeat Of the fact that your wedding and that your home is not what the Lord meant it to be. That your union is not the union of two souls joined together in Christ. That makes the threefold cord that's not easily broken. When a man and a woman live in a home in sort of disarmed neutrality. And go on towards uh, separation sometimes and divorce. You can be sure of the fact that the trouble started in the very beginning when there was not the realization of what marriage is. For you see, man and woman are a trinity. We have a body, we have a mind, and we have a spirit. The carnation that you see there has a body, but it has no soul and it has no spirit. It is just a single life without soul or spirit. You cut it, it dies. An animal has a body and a soul, but no spirit. The Hebrew word nefesh for soul is used in several occasions in the Old Testament for an animal. That's why the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have their nests, as the Lord Jesus said. And they come back because in addition to the body, they have the homing instinct, the self-instinct. They come to that which is theirs. But man has not only body and soul, but body, soul, and spirit. God consciousness. We know there's a God. Now, there are some people that marry body and body. She's a blonde, and he's tall, tan, and terrific. And the pin-up girl and the color ad boy meet and marry. And the glamour wears off, and they're in the divorce court. What was it? It was a body with body, that's all. Then there are those marriages that say, well, we like the same things, we like the same sports, we like the same books, we like the same, and so on. Those marriages will last a little longer, especially if they're cemented together with children. But the true marriage is a marriage of body with body, mind with mind, and spirit with spirit. One day a woman came and sat in my study, began to cry. The home was on the point of breaking up. She said, doctor, it began about two years after our wedding. She said he was a nice fellow. We used to go to church somewhat before, and I just sort of took it for granted that he was a Christian, but she said I was pretty far from the Lord in those days. And he's a wonderful man in many ways. But she said when we'd been married about two years, we had a baby that was very ill. And the baby was on the point of death, and we we brought the doctor there one night, and the doctor said, I cannot tell you if the child will live till morning. By morning we'll know whether the child will live And when he went away, she said, I said, John, let's, let's pray. And she said, he he said, oh, you go do the praying. I'm going out and smoke a cigarette. And she said, it was as though he had stabbed me with a knife because I realized that while our bodies were married and our minds were married, that I had never been married to him in spirit. We had never prayed together. In in my church, among my young people, I say, look, young people, acquaintance is the prelude to friendship. Friendship is the prelude to courtship. Courtship is the prelude to marriage. Now, somewhere along the line, you've got to find out the spiritual status of the mate. Somewhere along the line, you've got to begin praying. Unhappy the couple that do their first praying after they're married. I say to young people, if you can't pray on a date, there's something wrong with your date. Let's not forget that. And I try to tell the fellows and the girls to pray. You know, I would trust my daughter to go in a distance, even in a car with a young fellow, if they had to come home late at night. If I knew that in the beginning they'd said, Lord, keep our friendship pure and clean in thee, and may it all be to the honor and glory of thy name, that what we do, we do as unto Jesus Christ. And that's possible. And the weddings that are the weddings of someone who's a born-again Christian and someone who is another born-again Christian, that's what is going to last from time and eternity. For God has very definitely stated, for well, that marriage is the picture of the union of the soul with Christ. And it's the nearest thing to heaven on earth. When the born-again Christian and the born-again Christian are married, And the Lord Jesus Christ is occupying his proper place in that triangle. For every marriage is a triangle. The man, the woman, and the Lord. And if the Lord is not on his point in the triangle, anybody can move in. I don't care what the marriage is, what their cultural background, or anything else. There has to be the union of body, mind, and spirit. So I try to train them before their wedding. I say, Mary... Sometime when we're talking about it, you really love him? Yes, I do. Are you willing to obey him? Yes, I am. For he has to make the real decisions. No man is ever going to be worth a hill of beans in the world if he is not in authority in his own home. In fact, God says no man should ever be an elder or a deacon in a church if he does not have his wife and children in subjection. The Bible says so in Timothy. Timothy. For it says, if he know not how to rule his own household, how shall he rule the church of God? Flatly states that no man should ever be given an official position in the church if his wife is not kept in order. If his wife's a gossip, he ought to tame her or resign. That's God's word, my dear friend. Let God be true and every man a liar. We must very definitely recognize this fact but I say Mary do you love him enough to obey him yes but I said now look he's not going to command you John do you love her enough never to command her because you see that's the acid test I say instead of saying we compromised and painted the house yellow if you don't agree say let's just let the house remain unpainted this winter and every time you go in and out and see the flakes of the old paint it'll remind you that there's some one thing on which you're not in perfect union, then the day will come when you're driving down the road and all of a sudden John will put his foot on the brake and Mary will say, oh, and they'll say, yes, 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 he'll back the car up fifty yards and they'll look at that house and they'll say, that's just our color scheme. Then you will go and have the house painted and when it's done everybody will say, how nice it looked, who chose it? We did. That's Mary. But I said, Mary. If ever in the middle of the night at 2 o'clock in the morning the baby's sick and you say we must telephone to Dr. X and your husband says no Mary we must call Dr. Y on this I said you call Dr. Y No question about it you do what your husband says He has the final authority in every quick decision that has to be made It must be his And if any woman says why Because God Almighty created things that way just as definitely as he created the law of gravity. Furthermore, any good woman wants it that way. Any good woman wants it that way. Several years ago, I came into my home. My little girl, who's now 19 and who was then about five, came up to me. Daddy, I have a riddle. Oh, how children love riddles. I said, what is the riddle? She said, what is most like half of the moon? Well, I'd heard that when I was about her age. But it's the duty of a father never to give the proper answer to a riddle. So I said, well, what is most like half of the moon? Could it be half of an orange? No, no. Half of an Edam cheese? No, no. And I thought of everything round and orange that I knew. Well, I said, you tell me. What is most like half of the moon? She said, the other half of the moon. That's right. That's right. That's what's most like half of the moon. Well, what's most like a woman in this world? The answer is a man. What's the most like a man in this world? A woman. Now you know a man is infinitely superior to a woman at being a man. And a woman is infinitely superior to a man at being a woman. But if a man is feminine or a woman is masculine there's something wrong and everybody knows it right away. And as long as a woman says, I am a woman and I'm going to be a success as a woman. God has nothing finer. Just by chance, I was talking to a gentleman tonight at dinner who had driven all the way from Marlin, Texas, to come to church here. And he was reminding me that I'd preached in their church, the Presbyterian Church there, 10 years ago. And I said, I never forgot a girl that was in that church. All during the week I was preaching there on the front row, there was a little girl about 12 years old. She was one of the most beautiful girls I've ever seen. And her whole attitude was spiritual. And when I'd finished preaching, she wouldn't come up merely and say, I certainly did enjoy it. Parrot in the South, which everybody says, you know. I certainly did enjoy it. Even when you sandpaper them, they enjoy it. But she would say something, she would say something spiritual. And one night, one night I put my hand on her shoulder. Her father, who was the Methodist minister in that town, who was in every meeting with us, stood there. And I said to the girl, you love the Lord Jesus. You know the Lord Jesus. She said, oh, yes. And I'll never forget how the father put his hand on her shoulder and he said, I led my children to Christ. He said, I think it would be the greatest dishonor that a man could ever have in this world to beget a child and allow the child to grow up and to allow somebody else to have to lead it to Christ. He said, I led my children to Christ. And I said to the gentleman at supper, I said, I, what became of her? He said, we don't know. She moved away. She'd be 22 now, 23 I said, you know, I have never been able to get away from that child in my mind. And I have thought to myself, maybe 25 years from now, her son will be the Dwight L. Moody of another generation. Oh, what a job a mother has to bring into this world sons and daughters, to lead them to Christ and cause them to grow in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. A woman that will do that has won for herself the place that is above every place that a woman can have. And the woman that gives that up to be queen of the Canasta Club is a fool. She's not fit to raise mud turtles, let alone children that have immortal souls. Now, don't misunderstand. I'm not preaching against Canasta. As I said the other night, the question about things is not can you do this, can you do that, can you do this, can you do that, but who's running who? You play canasta every time the Holy Spirit wants you to play. Just be sure you're following His lead, that's all. That, and don't misunderstand, God sometimes, He's made us with a nature that wants humor at times and wants relaxation, wants rest, wants many different things. You just be sure that you're letting the Lord Jesus run your life. And I'll never argue with you about what you do. Of course, if you come and tell me that the Holy Spirit led you to get drunk, I'll think you don't know the Holy Spirit, but that's some other kind of spirit. But let's just face the fact that a woman is the greatest success that the world has ever seen at being a woman. How wonderful. Back in the early days of the Christian church, it is recorded in the Fathers that one of the great pagans said, what women these Christians have. How magnificent that a woman should be there to grow and see the tremendous job that she has to write eternal truth on a few small hearts and lead her children to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might, to bring up men of character who would die rather than welch on a deal, whose word is their bond, who wouldn't take anything under the table in a deal, that would not trim on their income tax, and that will be men of honor, and that would say, Lord God, it would never be a dishonor to be bankrupt, but it would be a dishonor not to be honest. What a wonderful thing for a mother to be able to bring up a child. may not be popular as the girl of easy virtue but the child that someday will look some good man in the eye and come to him pure and faithful to be the wife and the mother of his children for the next generation. A woman that can do that for her children has succeeded, has succeeded as much as Einstein ever succeeded or anything else. You know I don't believe in Mother's Day and Father's Day. These things created by the greeting card writers and the potted geranium industry in order that children should feel better by giving mother a flower and letting her wash the dishes all the rest of the year. But you see, Mother's Day, someone says, but don't you like to honor mothers? No. Being a mother is merely a biological function. Anybody can do it. It's been done by billions. Would you want to have engineer's day an honor engineers whose bridges fall down and whose tunnels cave in? Oh, no, you say. If an engineer's tunnels caved in and if his bridges fall down, you'd say he's no good engineer at all. Now, an engineer whose tunnels stand up and whose bridges stand up, why, you can build a monument to him. But a mother who merely brings a lot of children into the world and then allows them to go to hell, I'll never... Want a postcard for her or a Mother's Day for her. But oh, a Christian mother. What a godly thing. What a wonderful thing. And that's the center of the home. That's the heart of the Christian home. Now come back a moment to the wedding ceremony. After I have briefly told her her position and he his, told him his position, I say to him, John, you are the high priest of the household. You are responsible for the religious life of the home. The father is the one who's to ask the grace at table. The father is the one who in the morning is to gather his wife and children with him and to open the word of God and read a few verses and to pray briefly. It doesn't have to take over five minutes, but I tell you this, men, I tell you in the name of the Lord God Almighty and don't try to get out of it. I tell you in the name of the Lord, God Almighty, that if you don't have family worship, your home is not a Christian home. It's a caricature of a Christian home. You say, well, I read my Bible and she reads her Bible. You read it together and father, you read it. You pick out the passage and you decide and you are responsible for the life of your home. And in the name of God, I tell you that the Bible says you are responsible for the character and lives of your children. The law of Tyler and of Texas and of the United States holds a man responsible for his child. If you have a child that takes your automobile and kills somebody with it, they can sue you and take away your property if you don't have your car insured. The law holds you responsible for the actions of your minor children. So does God. That's why there must be discipline. We had to travel a great deal in our home. Mr. McKenzie made reference a moment ago to the fact that I've had to cross the Atlantic Ocean some 39 times, I think it is now. And many times I had to take my wife and as many as four children with me at once. We were going abroad and be gone on a preaching mission for a long time. Therefore we had to have rigorous discipline. Therefore, with all our baggage, we carried a little sewing bag that had in it a Bible, a hymn book, and a ping pong paddle. Now, that we call the family worship bag. The ping pong battle battle is the most admirable instrument for child discipline I've never ever known of. It's large and formidable in appearance. It makes a loud noise and does not hurt much. Any man that does not spank his children is unworthy to be a father. Because you see, a child from the very beginning respects law and order. If you want your child to respect you You discipline the child in a prayerful way You know you say Johnny don't touch that Junior Don't touch that Don't touch that So he looks your way and puts out his hand And you say Junior I wasn't, I wasn't Then he watches you and comes around at it Pretty soon he has his hand on it. And if you don't come down on Junior The way you should Why you've lost him To teach Junior to obey you Is to teach Junior to obey God And to allow Junior to get away with anything in parental discipline will ultimately make it more difficult for him to believe and obey God. Honor thy father and thy mother. is a word to children, but it's also a word to parents. You've got to be fathers and mothers that your children can honor. And therefore, you must discipline them. Did you know that in the book of Proverbs it says, Father, beat your child, he will not die. Did you know that in the book of Proverbs, that's God speaking, by the way, he that spareth the rod hateth his son. Did you know that in the word of God it says foolishness is in the heart of a child and the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. Did you know that God says all of these things and tells you, fathers, that you're responsible for the life of your home. And you are very definitely Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. Well, someone says, I'm leaving my child liberty. I'm not teaching the child religion. I want the child to grow up and make all his own choices. Well, do the same thing about brushing his teeth, then. Let him make his own choices later on when he has no teeth or when he has no religion. Well, somebody said, you see, the reason I don't go to church now is because I was made to go when I was young. I says, is that why you've stopped taking baths? Because you've made to do them when you were young? How ridiculous. Well, someone says, I haven't stopped taking baths. Well, weren't you made to when you were young? And didn't you yell about it? In other words, when you say, I was made to go to church when I was young, so I don't now, you lie. You're putting out an excuse. You're in sin and you want to live that way. Because it says in John 3, verse 19, this is the condemnation That light is in the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. And if there's any man or woman here tonight who is not born again and not yielded to the Lord Jesus Christ, it's because you're doing something down deep in your hearts or back in your life someplace that you're ashamed to come and have the Lord bring out into the open. Very definitely, that is the fact. Now, the Christian home is this wonderful place where the man can take asylum from the ills of the world. Every woman in the world is like some kind of a fire. Some are like lightning. the lightning strikes, and they do, and sometimes America goes crazy about it. Let's face facts. When are we going to build our standards and not allow the harlots of Hollywood to rule our morality and to make the standards for what we're doing? And if we'll face the fact that what Ingrid Bergman did should be treated by the same names as what any other woman did in the same circumstances, then we'll be true to the word of God, to the law and to the testimony. If they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. And when we have our Christian homes and comprehend that when God Almighty joins someone together, they are joined in an illustration of Christ and the church. Then you realize that any separation in a marriage is a picture of apostasy, of the separation of a soul from Christ. You wouldn't think of denying the doctrine of eternal security, but did you ever stop to realize that eternal security is marriage? While the breaking of the marriage vow would be the picture of of belief that a man can be saved and then lost again. God says, This is Christ and the church. Therefore, there must be this tremendous union of the two. Since God is trying to teach us by this magnificent illustration, this oneness, some other women are not like the lightning. Some women don't have what it takes to be a stroke of lightning. So they're a little brush fire that crackles around and burns out the underbrush, and now it can't even set a big pine tree on fire. But they try. But there are other women that are perfectly willing to stay home and be a heart fire. Where a man who's been working out in the cold can come in and warm himself by her love. And then go out again, refreshed, because she is the center of the home. And the fire at which he will warm his life, in order that he may go out and do the tasks that men have to do. And when a woman comprehends her place, As the hearth fire to furnish all the flame for the home. Then she shall comprehend how much God has given her to do. But I'll tell the men this in passing. That there is one thing in which they must obey their wives. There is one thing in which every man must obey his wife implicitly. And that's everything she ever tells him about any other woman. Now this is private for men only. Men, do you know why women don't like each other very well? The answer is because women understand each other so well. You're with your wife sometime, you're driving down the road at 40 miles an hour, and a woman passes. And somebody says, Did you see that woman? And your wife says, You want, You mean the one with the little toque and wearing the peplum and the uh, little uh, accessory here and that had the open tote shoes and this? No, I didn't see her. Why? And she knows everything she had on from head to toe, and she knows her character. Women know women. Several years ago we had a woman join our church And at luncheon that noon My wife was then living And she said Who was Mrs. So-and-so that joined the church? You read out her name And I said, I don't know She came and presented her letter From a church in Connecticut She had a very good testimony Mrs. Brown said, watch out for her I said, what do you mean? Look out for her I said, well, what do you mean? Well, she's this, this, this kind of character I said, I didn't know there was any cat in you but, Daddy, that's true. And I said, look, my dear, I, that disappoints me in you. I, I'd never seen that trait in you before. But, no, Daddy, that's true. Well, we changed the subject. Two years later, one of my elders came to me and says, there's a little trouble in the church. What is it? Mrs. So-and-so. Sir. And he gave me the details that my wife had told me two years before when she'd seen the woman 25 feet away. Now, listen, men. Learn this great fact. Men, listen to me men, listen to me men, if your wife ever says to you, you know, be careful of Mrs. So-and-so, don't you even stand in the church and talk Sunday school lessons with Mrs. (laughs) So-and-so, stay as far as the east is from the west. God gave you your wife as a red flag to warn you against predatory females. (laughs) And now, men, here's another word for you that's very important. I tell you, men, this. A woman has to be told that you love her. You must say it with Valentine's on Valentine's Day, with candy and with flowers occasionally, and occasionally you must say it with a dish rag. But above all, above all, you must say it with words. And our God and Father, we pray thee that the Holy Spirit shall take this message to each heart in this hour. If there should be any who listen who have not been born again and who know not this love, give them restlessness in their loneliness until they come to rest in thee through Christ. And upon all thy redeemed own, may thy grace, thy mercy, and thy peace and a new sense of thy love abide. And to thee be the glory now till Jesus come and forever. Amen. You've been listening to Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse. Listen to Faith of Our Fathers each Saturday and Sunday to hear more great 20th century preachers.